Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. I'm Rosie. And I'm Ryan. Today we're continuing the story of Jesse Smollett. So this is part two. If you're already pretty familiar with the story, this is fine. But if you want the full story about what happened in the beginning of February, you want to go back to part one and listen to that. So before we get into it, we want to thank our new patron, Crystal. Thank you, Crystal. And there's one more patron that hasn't replied yet, so check your messages if you recently became our patron, uh, because we just want to make sure it's okay that we give you a shout-out. So thank you, Crystal. Also, I want to give a shout-out to the Seeing Red podcast, Bethan and Mark. They're a true crime podcast with really lovely UK accents that I enjoy listening to, so if you haven't yet, go check them out. So, last week, we left off with the questions... Did Jesse actually make this whole story up? And why would he do this? So we'll get into those in a bit. But first, we're going to finish out the timeline of what happened. On February 22nd, less than a month after the alleged attack, Smollett's character was removed from the episodes of Empire, which hadn't aired yet. But they maintained that they cared about him deeply. They just wanted to avoid further disruption on set. Can you imagine the amount of work that went to waste for that studio? Yeah. Removing his character? Thanks. That's a lot, because so many people are involved, you know, so that's pretty crazy. On March 7th, a Cook County grand jury returned 16 felony counts of disorderly conduct against Millette for filing a false police report and making false statements to Chicago police. So each of these charges, 16 could potentially be three years in prison. So three times 16, that's 48 years in prison. Let that sink in for a minute. That'd be really devastating, especially if this attack really did happen. And if it was staged, it shows how seriously they take lying to the police. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not just something you can do and get away with. Before we go on, we're going to talk more about the Osandero brothers who we brought up last week. They were the ones that were on that video footage. Oh, yeah, that's right. And Jesse told Robin on GMA that he was pretty sure those were his attackers. So let's talk about what they told the police and how they became involved in this. Jesse Smollett and Abel Osandero became friends in the fall of 2017. Abel had been a stand-in for the character Kai from Empire, so Abel was also affiliated with the show in a small capacity. Jesse and Abel worked out at the gym together and socialized pretty regularly. So the Osandero brothers, at least Abel, was pretty close to Jesse, and now these brothers are arrested. So let's talk about what they alleged about Smollett. On January 25th, Four days before the attack, Smollett had texted Abel, asking when he was leaving for his upcoming trip to Nigeria. The trip was scheduled for the evening of the 29th. So they literally left town the day of the attack, and they were able to provide evidence of these messages. After Abel told Smollett, oh, I have a hard time with that last name. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Not very common. After Abel told Smollett when the trip was, Jesse replied to him, quote, Might need your help on the low. You around to meet up and talk face to face? They made arrangements to meet at the Cinespace 
Studios, where Empire is filmed. Once they met up, they got in Smollett's car and Jesse drove Abel home. During the ride, Smollett expressed his displeasure, displeasure with the way the Empire Studio handled the racist letter he'd received on the 22nd. Then Abel said Jesse told him he wanted to stage an attack with him and his brother as the attackers. So that's pretty... Shady? Yeah. That's, I mean, if the Osandera brothers are telling the truth here, that's pretty crazy stuff. They arrived at Abel's apartment around 5 p.m. on January 25th, and they called Abel's brother Ola down to the car. When he got in, Jesse asked if he could trust him. After he said yes, Jesse detailed his plans for the attack. He said he wanted them to appear to attack him on the evening of January 28th, 2019 near his apartment building. He said he wanted them to catch his attention by yelling Empire N-word and Empire F-word, then appear to attack him, but not too much, and give him a chance to appear to fight back. Then he said he wanted Ola to place a rope around his neck, pour gasoline on him, and yell, this is mega country. It's detailed. Yeah. Before they got out of his car, they say he gave them a $100 bill to purchase the supplies they would need. Huh. So, yeah. How generous. That's, <laughs> that's, um, it's pretty, what's the word? Sinister? Two days later, on the 27th, the day before the attack, he picked the brothers up again to show them where he wanted the attack to happen and asked them to leave their cell phones at home. Probably a good idea. Yeah. He also pointed out the surveillance camera on the corner, which he had hoped would capture the incident. Remember, he said, there it is. Yeah. Then he changed the gasoline plan to bleach, drove home, and wrote them a check for $3,500. Yeah, okay. I think he maybe realized gasoline would really hurt his skin. <laughs> yeah, well, bleach would too, wouldn't it? Yeah, it, they're both corrosive. Well, if you're a chemist... You, I don't know what corrosive really means. I pick gas. So, I love the But I would imagine gas. bleach and gasoline are both damaging to the skin, but gas is probably a lot more. When I accidentally get gas on my fingers when I fill up the lawnmower, I'm like, yes. Why? I like the smell. Yeah, but it's so oily and mm -hmm. it feels like it's eating away at you. I don't know. I like it. It's so dangerous. <laughs> it does smell good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Shall I talk about the next day? Yeah. The next morning of January 28th, the brothers purchased the items they would need for the attack at a local beauty supply store and the rope at a local hardware store. Which was called the Crafty Beaver. <laughs> That's my favorite so thing ever. Side note. <laughs> That's amazing. Abel deposited the check into his account that day. I wonder if that was a good idea. Oh, might as well get your money while you can. True. The attack was planned for 10 p.m. on the 28th, but it got pushed back because Jesse's flight from New York to Chicago had been delayed four hours. Hate so, it when that happens. Yeah, so that would explain why this attack happened at such a ridiculous time of the night. 2 a.m.? Yeah. The so, oh, I mean, ahead. initially he planned to go to Subway at 10, if this is all true, because... You know, that's still 2 a.m. for Subway, that's a little... 10 p.m. is also a little crazy. Yeah. I mean, you, you stop going to Subway no later than 7. 
you're done. <laughs> it's very interesting logic. <laughs> also, um, he probably wanted to make sure the check deposited before he went through with all this. The because, friend? Yeah, because you wouldn't want to do all this crap before you get paid. You know what I'm saying? Right. The brothers say they got an Uber to the 1400 block of North Wells. Then they hailed a taxi to take them to a spot three blocks from Jesse's apartment. Yeah, so, so so far their account is, I mean, it's fitting in with the evidence that we have so far. So do you want to talk about what happened next? Mm-hmm. 19 days after Smollett was charged, the Cook County State Attorney's Office suddenly decided to drop the charges against Smollett. So this is an interesting turn of events. Like, does this mean he was telling the truth and they feel like they can't charge him? Is this attorney's name actually Maggots? It's M-A-G-A-T-S. So I didn't uh, sift through hours of video to see someone pronounce it. Well, but it's an unfortunate last name. Yeah. The attorney, Joseph Maggots, who had been assigned to prosecute Smollett, said the decision should not be seen as a ex- Ugh, exoneration. He did it. Or admission that the case was faulty. So, so basically, they're saying they still believe Jesse is guilty, but for some reason they're withdrawing the charges, which doesn't make much sense. He said it was more based on the volunteer community service that Smollett had been doing following his bail release. What? Yeah. This... Is interesting because this doesn't happen. Um, state attorneys don't withdraw charges from the state, you know, just because someone did some community service. No, that doesn't really Especially matter. normal people. Now, is Jesse getting some special treatment because he's a celebrity or, or uh, I don't know. But Smollett's attorneys, on the other hand saw this withdrawal of charges as an indication that Smollett was an innocent victim of an inappropriate rush to judgment. So what? not only was he the victim of a quote-unquote hate crime, but also a victim of the police rushing to judgment. Hmm. It turns out the police department had been suspicious of him from day one, and we'll share some details that led them to feel that way. But after the charges were dropped... Smollett still maintained that, from day one, he had been truthful and consistent on everything. He even made the statement, quote, I would not be my mother's son if I was capable of one drop of what I was being accused of. Hmm. That's Yeah, so he's hefty. doubling down. He's saying, I've been telling the truth the whole time. But the superintendent, Eddie Johnson, who had publicly called him out back in February held his belief that Smollett committed a hoax and took advantage of the local community. The authorities were outraged at the prosecutor's decision to drop the charges because they had done a lot of work and uncovered a ton of evidence against Jesse Smollett. And now it seemed to be all for nothing. Yeah, Eddie Johnson actually said, I've heard that they wanted their day in court with TV cameras so America could know the truth. So they wanted the truth to get out there. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but now they chose to hide behind secrecy and broker a deal to circumvent the judicial system. So hmm. let that speak for itself. The mayor of Chicago, Rahm Emanuel, even spoke up about this, saying, There needs to be a level of accountability throughout the system, and this sends an un- unambiguous message that there is no accountability, and that is wrong. Yeah, so they were pretty angry about all this. And on March 28th, the city of Chicago demanded payment from Smollett to recoup the money and resources spent on investigating his report. Hmm. So they want, because they put a ton of hours into this. Right. I think that's fair. Investigation. They paid police to work overtime and they want their money back because it was a giant waste of resources Mm -hmm. if they're not even going to charge him. They calculated this purely based on what they spent on the investigation. In other words, what the taxpayers of Chicago spent. So the total came to $130,000. I mean, that's like one episode of his show, Pay, to get out of 16 felonies. So it's not a bad trade-off when you look at it that way. But on the other hand... It's an absolutely terrible deal if the police are wrong here. And Jesse, if Jesse really was a victim of a hate crime, this would be a terrible thing to demand from him. Mm-hmm. But we will talk about more evidence later on in the episode. But what we're saying now is Jesse had settled with the prosecution by paying. So this is how they got to the settlement where they withdrew the charges. Jussie paid a $10,000 bond to settle, and the prosecution accepted. So, I mean, if he's willing to pay 10000 that kind of says something that contradicts what his attorneys are saying mm-hmm. about his innocence. But even with this 10000 the city and the local law enforcement was not satisfied with this. So the state attorney accepted it, but... Law enforcement and the city of Chicago, that was not good enough for them. The mayor made another statement. He said, when he does pay the city back for just purely what the taxpayers have fronted, in that memo section of the check, he can write, I'm sorry, and I'm accountable for what I've done. Mm-hmm. And He's never going to get that. <laughs> and if Jesse is lying about his attack here... for Chicago to pay, that's a really heavy toll for the pride of one man, you know? Especially someone who was already doing so well financially. And a large percentage of the people paying the taxes in Chicago that support the services like law enforcement barely make enough to get by. And this one person cost their city over $130,000. That's a huge dent in the economy of Chicago. On April 11th, the city of Chicago straight up sued Smollett for the $130,000. The next day, Kim Fox, the original state attorney that dropped Smollett's case, ordered an independent review of her actions because she had been under a lot of criticism for dropping the charges. She hoped to ensure that her and her office were able to maintain the community's trust and pledged her full cooperation. So that's pretty respectable that she's... Um, submitting herself to the scrutiny of 
mm-hmm. someone to investigate her. Just over a week after that, on April 23rd, the Osendero brothers sued Smollett's legal team for defamation. They claimed that Mr. Smollett's attorneys, faced with an outraged public, did not retreat after their success. Instead, they doubled down, not simply affirming that Mr. Smollett was a wholly innocent victim, but that among other accusations, the Osendero brothers unequivocally led a criminally homophobic, racist, and violent attack against Mr. Smollett. Yeah, and I mean, based on this, if they're telling the truth, I can completely understand their frustration. They claimed they'd been friends with Jesse for two years before this all went down, and he used them. Why would two black men lead a racially motivated attack against a black guy? That's the frustrating accusation against them if mm-hmm. if he really did, you know, ask them to do it and then dump the blame on them later. But he could have said that you were racist for thinking that was not racist. That makes my brain hurt. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. The brother's suit also claimed that the defendants made these comments knowing that they were untrue to distract from Mr. Smollett's farce <laughs> and to promote themselves and the Garagos and Garagos law firm. Yeah, after that, the law firm that was defending Jussie referred to this lawsuit as a comical legal document, so no respect for it. And then after they made fun of this, the Osendero brothers' lawsuit, then they made another statement. and said, While we know this ridiculous lawsuit will soon be dismissed because it lacks any legal footing, we look forward to exposing the fraud the Osendero brothers and their attorneys have committed on the public. Yeah, so now, with all this back and forth, you hopefully realize why we called this episode a confusing mess. Because this is just an absurd situation. I've never seen anything like this before. Have you? No. (laughs) It's got a lot of anecdotal evidence, but... Is there any physical evidence of what really happened here? Because we're getting one side of the story from Jesse. We're getting another side from the Osendero brothers, which if they're telling the truth, it's plain and raging. And we have all this back and forth between the um, attorneys on both sides and the law enforcement and the city and everything. And I should also mention around this time, Jesse did have some supporters but the vast majority of people seemed to be thinking he was lying as well. Mm. So now we're actually going to get into the evidence and talk about that because that's where the real answers are, right? As we mentioned earlier, there was a rope around his neck and he was covered in bleach. That's the physical evidence that was left on Jesse that we know of. There's a really fascinating couple of videos on YouTube by a guy named Derek Van Shake. He's a YouTuber with a Bachelor of Arts degree in political and behavioral sciences. And he uses his perceptive talents and education to analyze videos of people trying to determine if they're being truthful. So he did this with Jussie Smollett and his interviews and body cam footage and all that. And after watching his video, I was blown away by all the signs that he could actually be lying about the attack. That sounds like a really interesting job. I I don't want to go to college for that. (laughs) It was 
Fascinating. Derek pointed out a lot of involuntary behaviors, including phrasing and facial expressions, that Smollett showed in his GMA interview. And these are the signs of a person lying. He also analyzed the body cam footage from before Jesse had asked them to turn it off. So we're going to get into that a bit more later, but I strongly suggest you go watch that video, which we'll link in the show notes, um, because it's very convincing. Dr. Phil also believes Jesse Smollett is lying. He talked about it with Joe Rogan when he was on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. So there are credible people that don't believe Jesse was truly attacked, just right off the bat. These are all... I mean, Dr. Phil talked to Joe about it a while ago. So, remember the superintendent of the Chicago police who publicly accused Smollett of lying the same day of his GMA interview? There was more to what he said that we held back until now, because this is where we're going to turn the case on its head. Um, We were trying to play both sides, but, well, you'll see. Ready to get into it, Rosie? Mm-hmm. He said the hate letter he had received on the 22nd was also orchestrated by the actor, quote, to gain attention. But, quote, when that didn't work out, Smollett approached the brothers and paid $3,500 to stage this attack and drag Chicago's reputation through the mud. And this actually has physical evidence. The Osandero brothers produced a $3,500 check from Jesse Smollett. It's a check from Jesse Smollett's checking account. Uh, It was signed over to... Abimbola. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. Wow. My, how the turntables. (laughs) (laughs) Abimbola Osandero, who goes by Abel, so he's the one that was close friends with Jesse... So the checks made out to him, and he was able to provide this evidence to the police. Also, the rides that the brothers talked about where Justy disclosed this plan, you know, he picked them up, drove around, and talked about the plan. That was corroborated by surveillance videos from around the city between Cinescape Studios and the Osendero brothers' residence, and also by cell tower data from Smollett's cell phone. So... What? Like, data that his cell phone had sent to cell towers corroborated with this drive that the Osendero brothers said they took. Got it. Where he told them the plan. Mm -hmm. So that's some pretty heavy physical evidence against Justy. Definitely. And that's not even all of it. Police also found footage from a local beauty store where the Osendero brothers were on the camera buying a bunch of supplies, including black clothes, black face masks, and a red baseball cap. According to a security guard named Montego Silas, 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 I knew that, (laughs) who worked at the store, the brothers actually asked if they had any mega hats in stock. So they straight up asked for mega hats. Make America great again, if you don't remember that. And, like, why would they be asking for this if they weren't part of this plan? You know? Mm-hmm. At 12.49 a.m., about an hour before the attack, there was a three-minute phone call between Jesse and Abel. During this call, Abel says Jesse told him the attack would take 
place exactly at 2 a.m. at the present location. Yeah, pre preset location. Thank and you. And this is like right after Jussie got off of his delayed flight. Just after this, Ola ordered an Uber ride, which cell phone and Uber records confirm. Then they got that taxi, which video footage from the taxi cabs show the brothers hailing the cab and riding in the back seat. Yeah, so more physical evidence supporting the Osendero brothers' account. The police found footage from 1.22 a.m. to 2.03 a.m. of the brothers walking around the neighborhood and footage of Smollett returning to his apartment from the airport at 1.30 a.m. Then, at 1.45 a.m., he left again to walk to Subway. The cameras captured the brother arriving at the preset location at 2 a.m., but Smollett was late, so they went and sat on a nearby bench to wait for him. Of course the guy who's already there is late. (laughs) Yeah. He arrived four minutes later, and the attack happened off-camera. And there was also a witness in the area at the time of the attack. Um, A woman who works for NBC News Chicago had parked and exited her her, uh, car just around the corner at the exact time of the attack. Remember, Smollett had said within the 45 seconds of his attack, they were shouting racist and homophobic slurs at him, but she heard nothing. And they were able to corroborate her arrival with the time of the attack when they had just disappeared off camera, hmm. you know. So they know she was there at the time, but she didn't hear any yelling. Well, how odd would it be if, like, you paid your friends to beat you up and then they did start actually beating you up and yelling? I don't know. I know. I'd, how do you fake it? I I would have such a hard time. That's the thing is, Jussie says he wishes so bad that it was caught on camera, the attack. But can you imagine how stupid the attack probably, would actually look? Yeah, probably if did it was all dumb. faked. Because they didn't actually pound him because he didn't have any. Yeah, he had a like tiny a scratch? scratch on each cheek and so, a little rope burn. I don't know. That, that'd be so weird. I know I couldn't beat up my uh, friend for any amount of money. <laughs> yeah. Because I would be embarrassed and laughing. <laughs> so if, if you do believe Jesse, I mean, that's understandable. We can't tell anyone what opinion they should have. But I don't believe him after what everything I've learned. And we still have more to talk about. But, but just so you know, you're entitled to your opinion. So, About one minute after going off camera for the attack, the Osandero brothers were seen running from the scene and entering a taxi at 2.10 a.m., then exiting near their own apartment at 2.25 a.m. Later that night at 7.45 a.m. P.m. Oh, we're talking. Oh, so late. So this is the the next night because this all happened early in the morning. Right. Smollett placed another call to Abel just before they boarded their place to Nigeria. Their plane. Sorry, it was a typo. Okay. I was wondering, but didn't want to say anything. (laughs) Sorry. The call lasted five seconds. Then Abel called Smollett back, and it lasted for one minute and 34 seconds. So we've already gone through how. Um, Smollett's attorneys are doubling down and saying the Osendero brothers for sure did this. You know, they're the ones that were attacked or attacked Jussie. I mean, but here 
why would Jesse be calling his attackers before and after the attack? If he knew they attacked him, why didn't he tell the police that? Mm-hmm. You know, he would have recognized them. I mean, <laughs> why would he be calling them so much around the time of the attack? Right. That, that is odd. Again, on January 30th at 10.46 a.m., Jesse called Abel, and the call lasted for 8 minutes and 48 seconds. That's a long call. So there are a number of smoking guns in this case, which makes it a real twist from how we portrayed it last week. The fact is, none of the evidence, the real hard evidence, supports the story that Jesse told. But literally all of the evidence supports the Osendero story. You know, it all lines up with their story. And police were able to put this all together within two weeks of the report. By the time Jesse was on GMA, by the time they made the announcement in public that Jesse did this, you know. And I think it's pretty obvious after hearing all the evidence. Of course, a lot of this evidence had to be kept private until the trial, which didn't end up happening. But why would he do this? Like, what does he have to gain from risking his reputation this way? Well, there are a few reasons that people have speculated on. One is to boost his fame and career. With a huge story like this bursting into the spotlight, more people would be exposed to him and he'd get more famous. And it's true, like, I had no idea who he was. Through pity, though. Like, you want the pity vote? Apparently he does, kind of. Well, I mean, it is... Pity votes vote. People support victims, you know? That's what we do. That's literally what we do. But it's fake. I know, but he didn't think he'd get caught. Well, I know, but I'm just saying he would know it's fake, so... But he didn't care. Yeah, but a narcissist doesn't care about that. They just want the adoration. A second reason is to be perceived as tough. It's obvious from his comments on GMA that he strongly feels that gay men are perceived as weak. Yeah, he said that a lot. Uh-huh. And how he fought back. Yeah. Like, every time she asked something about him getting beat up, he replied with, I fought back. Yeah, we strongly recommend that you go watch all the video footage you can on this if you do have any doubts about what we're saying, so you can draw your own conclusions. Um, but, yeah, he really wants to know people to know that he's not weak. And like you said, he repeatedly stressed the fact that he fought back, both on GMA and at his concert in West Hollywood. And the third reason um, that people have speculated on is something I heard Joe Rogan and Dr. Phil talking about, who also both don't believe him. This is the fact that he truly does suffer a lot of discrimination and hate on a daily basis from people on Twitter and Instagram and other social media. And he may have justified his actions because they truly do represent the things that he goes through daily. Yeah. I mean, that's that makes a lot of sense. And it's really sad if this is the motivation behind it all, especially because of how counterproductive it ended up being. You all know that we always try to believe the victim, but when there's so much evidence that they're lying... It's such a disservice to the community he's claiming to want to help. I mean, think of the impact this will have on people who already are biased toward victims, whether they blame the victim or just don't want to believe 
This becomes a prime example of someone lying about being a victim and reinforces the beliefs of those who already are skeptical about people who have claimed to go through things like this. And it's so unfair to real victims, whether it's hate crimes or sexual abuse or anything else. It casts doubt into people's minds and makes it harder for people to talk about things that have happened to them, especially the people who we've talked to on this show who have had struggles, like holding it in for decades and not feeling confident to talk about until years later. Well, stuff like this contributes to the reason people feel nervous to talk about it. Mm -hmm. It's really sad. More details came out when documentation from the court case was released. And these are some of the details that led to the city suing Smollett for $130,000. According to police notes dated from February 14th, 2019, Jesse described one of his attackers as pale and wearing a mask. Initially, he had reported that the attackers were white, and when he was shown pictures of the two Ossendero brothers, he said it couldn't be them because they were, quote, black as sin, end quote. Yeah. Totally a quote. I would never say that. Yeah, that, that is a weird way to phrase it. Yeah. And yet, now Smollett and his legal team is holding firm to the fact that the Ossendero brothers did do this. So a total contradiction from his initial statements what the crap? That is very odd. Yeah. The Ossendero brothers testified that Smollett was unhappy with how the studio responded to his hate letter. And this led him to paying them $3,500 plus another $500 after the fact to stage the alleged hate crime. They said that Smollett asked that only one of them do the actual physical assault because he didn't trust the other one to, quote, pull his punches enough well that's rude i'm sure they're like we both can handle it but yeah, whatever if you're gonna stage this at least let them beat the crap out of you the one who actually did punch him said he was being careful not to do any real damage they testified that he did punch back at one point after he was thrown down to the ground the other brother who wasn't allowed to punch him rubbed his knuckles on smut's face to try to bruise him without punching him that's so weak <laughs> This is why I say, I wish this would have been caught on camera. Yeah, so, like, they thought this was going to look legit because they wanted it to be on camera. <laughs> I know. Is that how he got the scratches from, like, a ring that was on his finger? That could be. But it sounds like it would have been really funny to watch these big bodybuilder guys rub their knuckles on Jesse's face. Yeah. You know? been... That would be a viral video if it was actually. True. And everyone would make fun of it. Also in the police notes, they said that during the walkthrough, he took them <laughs> took them to the crime scene. Police asked him why his sweater didn't get soiled when he was on the ground, and he said it was because he fell on ice and snow. Which is odd, because he was walking them through the scene where it happened literally a couple hours later, so they saw exactly where he fell on the ground when they asked this question. So they would have seen if it was icy or dirty or snowy or not, you know? You still get gross, even if you're on snow. Right. Especially in the middle of a city. And we would know. Cities are full <laughs> of crap. There was also the fact that he refused to give the police his phone. 
He mentioned it was because of private info and pictures he had on there. Which we talked about last week. And how... Sounds crazy. Kind of. It's the police. They're trying to solve your case, not steal your information. Yeah, they're not looking for nudes. And they could easily get access to any of the information, like the contact information of people that he's supposedly trying to protect. Mm -hmm. I'm sure the police could get a hold of that in other ways besides your phone, Jesse. The brothers said that after the attack, they traveled to Nigeria, where they were born. And they left the black clothes and masks that they wore during the attack in Nigeria. That was probably smart. Yeah, that's actually a really good plan. They're talking here about the stuff you can see them purchasing in the security footage that we talked about. Which you can also see on YouTube. This is weird. But they said they used an old hot sauce bottle to hold the bleach. And they used a clothesline for the makeshift noose. (laughs) I guess that's good because they're recycling. Yeah, but it's odd. Um, Something interesting Derek Van Shake pointed out in his analysis of the body cam footage was that Jussie was wearing the clothesline still when the police showed up a half hour later. Now, most people, if they were violently attacked like this and someone put a clothesline around their neck, they would want to get that off of their body as soon as possible, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Now, we know everybody reacts differently, and there's no right way to act after an attack like this. So, I mean, we can't make a blanket statement about everybody. But in the body cam footage, it was he was, like, holding on to the rope and adjusting it almost like a tie. It looked like he was almost trying to get it to look just right. You know, but clothesline doesn't tie very well, so it wasn't like a noose at all. But it was more like just some clothesline wrapped around his neck dangling. Hmm. You know, they should have used twine or something that they can actually tie. Because <laughs> have you ever tried to tie a clothesline? I can't say I have. Have you? Yeah, it doesn't stay tied. When have you done that? <sighs> I didn't have friends as a kid. <laughs> okay. Also, in the body cam footage, the police officer asked Jesse. Police officer. <laughs> That's what I said wrong. Yeah. Police officer asked Jesse. Do you want to take it off? Obviously confused about why Jesse was still wearing it. And then Jesse took it off and he proceeded to wind it up nicely. So this rope is supposedly a massive symbol of disrespect and hate towards Jesse. And it was used in this vicious attack against him. Yet he left it on his neck, adjusted it to look nicer. And then after he took it off, he wound it up like... He was getting ready to store it. Wouldn't he hate this item and want to get it as far away from him as possible after being violated and dehumanized with it? That was just another detail that Derek Van Shake pointed out that I tend to agree with. Mm-hmm. Again, I've never been in this situation, so I don't know, but it's weird. The police also found records of texts between Smollett and the Osendero brothers dating several months back. Again, they claimed that they were friends with him since 2017. Mm-hmm. I obviously don't ever want to believe the attackers, but the fact that Jesse went from completely denying it was them to going after them hardcore, and the fact that he was texting them, and all this physical evidence we've been through, another nail in the coffin. You another know? knuckle in the face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. 
In this, one this of, is crazy. <laughs> in one of the conversations Smollett had with the brothers, he was allegedly trying to buy drugs. Yeah, so this is another facet of their relationship. He asked if he could get weed, Molly, or Whitney. I don't know what Whitney is. Yeah, th- these three things. Weed is obvious. Molly is slang for ecstasy, and Whitney is slang for cocaine. Wait a minute. So That Post Malone song? Is that about cocaine? Whitney? Yeah. Yep. Have you seen Post Malone? <laughs> <laughs> so Jesse had some other interesting habits. He purchased ecstasy. <laughs> Why can't I say that word? You said it right. Ecstasy from the Asandera brothers, and he used Venmo to pay them. But he labeled the purchase as training <laughs> to make his illicit spending appear as legitimate. Yeah. Well, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if you saw these guys, you could believe that they train him because they are ripped. Mm-hmm. So ripped that there's no way they could beat him up for 45 seconds and him only have two scratches. Right. He'd have broken legs and faces. Well, he fought and... back. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> So. <laughs> oh man. So there's a lot of crazy statements which are all backed by physical evidence that the police were able to find. At least the ones from the Sandero brothers. But now we're going to go through a few of the things in more detail that Derek Von Shake's video um had said. And these are this is what started to convince me that Jesse was lying because um, as I had unraveled this case, at first I was like, what? I don't, because I didn't have any of the evidence. So I was like, is he really lying? This is, this seems like a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. But the, these are the details that I heard that started to get me to realize, holy crap, this guy is full of it. And then when I actually saw the physical evidence, like the check and the video footage and all that, that's when I was like, okay, um, this guy is a douchebag. So we went through the GMA interview last week, so we're going to reference that and talk about what Derek said about it. As he was talking to Robin Roberts, he said he was crossing that intersection when he heard someone shout the word empire. But he kept walking because, as he said, I don't answer to empire. My name ain't empire. But I have a hard time believing that because if I was in a TV show and they said, The Office, <laughs> and I was in The Office, I would be like, hey, hey, it's me. It's interesting that you say that because that's exactly what Derek really? said. He said, um, Empire is the name of the show that Jesse Axon basically made, his, made him kind of famous. And it's a word he associates with himself, like you said. Yeah. And yet he claims that if he heard someone say it, he would ignore it. Yeah, because it's not a bad thing to for someone to call out the name of the show. Yeah, exactly. You'd be like, that's me. I would be. Yeah, okay. this was before any of the racial slurs. They just said empire. Next, Jesse claims that after his attackers used the slurs toward him, he turned around and faced them down. Yeah, so here, Derek mentions that it doesn't make any sense for a normal person to turn around and strike back at someone that they're being verbally assaulted by from behind 
when they have no idea what kind of threat they may be facing when they turn around, you know? Like, they could have a gun or some weapons. And I think this is a fair point, too. Like, who would just turn around and say, the F you just say to me? Mm-hmm. When someone's shouting at them from behind, you'd think you'd want to run first and put some distance between you. Right. He said he got into a 30-second tussle with these two men, who turned out to be massive bodybuilders. Camera footage proved that it was actually 45 seconds. Yeah, and like I just mentioned earlier, all he had was a scratch on his face and a little bit of rope burn. So if this would have been a real fight, he would have been extremely hurt. Because remember, Jesse said he was immediately punched right in the face. So right off the bat, first second of the fight, he'd have a lot more damage than two scratches on his cheeks. Another thing is all the pausing as he's recounting the story. In the video, Derek says that liars often pause when they're telling a story because they're trying to weave the lies in with the known truth. So it's likely that all the pausing is him trying to sort between what people know and what he wants to tell them and make it all fit together. Yeah, and this is actually something Dr. Phil pointed out on Joe Rogan as well. And I just, I think of all the people we've talked to on the show that share their story, and when they're telling their stories, it just naturally flows out of them because they were there. It's not hard to tell a story of something that happened to you. Mm-hmm. you know. Now, you guys know I pause all the time when I'm talking, but that's because I'm trying to think of words to describe what I'm thinking in the moment. And my brain has a hard time putting thoughts into words on the spot. But when rec- recounting a set story that doesn't change because it's something that already happened, there's never hesitation. You know, You were there. You just remember it as it comes. And as you heard... Like, if you watch his interview, Jussie is pausing constantly. Other things worth mentioning that Derek pointed out is that he repeats the same phrases multiple times, indicating, according to Derek, that the lines had been rehearsed. And Jussie smiles while describing horrible things, indicating a joyful reaction to duping people listening. Hmm. This is actually a common thing that... Really? You know, people identify as the duping smile because someone is happy that they're fooling the person they're talking to or if they think they're fooling the person they're talking to. And also, um, Jesse will shake his head while saying the word truth. Normally you shake your head to say no and you nod to say yes. And his reasoning for saying that is this action shows the body doesn't agree with what's coming out of the mouth. Which is like, that's deep stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? That seems so obvious. That really happens. Yeah. They go truth. Like, that's what I'm saying. Watch the Derek Van Shake video because he, he goes so in-depth on analyzing mm-hmm. Jussie's interview. Next, Jesse says that he picked up his phone and his manager just says, What's going on? If there would have been a scuffle with yelling and screaming the way Jesse described, his manager would have heard it happen and asked if he needed to call the police. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty interesting. You can't judge people's instant reactions to stuff, but you'd think that if he actually heard people yelling Mm -hmm. at Jesse, he'd be like, Are you okay? What just happened? Instead of, What's going on? Jesse says 
After he picked up his phone off the ground, he looked down and realized that there was a rope around his neck. Now, this one is kind of nuts. First of all, how do you bend over to pick up your phone with a rope around your neck and not notice the neck dangling there? Like, as soon as you bend over, the rope is going to hit you in the chin or nose or something. But forget that. How do you get a rope around your neck without noticing it? I mean, it would be difficult for someone to slip a rope over your neck while you're rolling around on the ground and tussling. Well, it wasn't a rope, though, so maybe it was... <laughs> it was a close Yeah, but still, like... I know. I'm... If you're you're at the height of your senses when you're being attacked, you yeah. know, you notice every little thing. It goes in slow motion. Because Jesse himself said it felt like minutes, but it was probably like 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Because you're... At the height of your senses, you're in fight-or-flight mode, and every little thing that happens to you, you're going to notice. So if someone's sliding a rope around your neck, you're going to be fighting to keep that thing off of you because if they get that around your neck and they actually want to hurt you, that's like the seal of your fate, you know? Mm -hmm. So you're going to be fighting, doing everything you can to keep the rope off your neck. You're not going to not notice it at all. It was kind of just a joke that it wasn't a rope, it was a clothesline. Well, yeah, but this is serious. Like, right. I just want to want to make the point. Next, remember that at the time of this interview, the identity of his attackers were not yet public. At first, he said it was two white men. And so during the interview, after Jesse was shown the footage of his attackers walking away from the scene and said he believed that was them, he said, it feels like if... I had said they were Muslim or Mexican or black, the doubters would have supported me a lot more. The problem here is his phrasing. As Derek points out, he says, if I had said, instead of if I was attacked by, you know, Hmm. if he was there and it happened, why would he phrase it based on what he said rather than what he experienced? It's just another little detail of phrasing on the spot that kind of gives it away next he said he didn't want to release his phone information because inaccurate statements had already been been put out there saying that this that he staged the whole thing i wonder if everybody could hear queso just then (laughs) yeah that was the weirdest sound i've ever heard of the cat but here he's basically saying the reason he doesn't want to give over his phone to get an accurate account of what went down is because inaccurate information was already released but wouldn't he want to clear it all up with his accurate information Mm -hmm. why would inaccurate information prevent you from giving real accurate good evidence to disprove that you know that doesn't make any sense at the end of the interview he starts to cry as he talks about how badly he needs his attackers to be caught for him to be able to heal his crying is very convincing Yeah, and, I mean, he is a professional actor. And as we've discussed, they have his attackers, and they aren't prosecuting them, even though Jussie's lawyers continue to claim the Osandero brothers are guilty. Not to mention that Jussie paid the city $10,000 to get the charges against himself dropped. So if he was innocent, and they didn't have enough evidence against him to put him away, why would he pay $10,000? No, it's, it is a confusing mess. There's just too much nonsense in this case. But based on all the evidence, um, I, 
you know, I can't say with 100% certainty how it went down. And, you know, I wasn't there. I don't know. But it really does seem like this was all orchestrated. And, yeah. I'm going to walk through the events and just why I think it happened the way it did. Kind of my theory. So I can't say for sure whether Jussie sent that letter, you know. The police believe he did, but it's really not something they can prove. That's just speculation. It's possible someone actually did send it out of hate. And it's possible that Jussie really wasn't happy with the way Fox handled it and wanted more publicity around it or more, you know, repercussions for it. Especially if he was being worn down with hate on Twitter and social media because of his gender and sexual orientation. But... It just got given to police and nothing came of it. So my theory is that he was fed up with all the prejudice and hate he received constantly on social media and planned to stage something that could not be ignored by Fox and the media, whether it was to bolster his fame or get a better salary, get pity, make a social statement. I do think he paid these guys off and they staged it. I mean, he wanted his manager on the phone because he never says why he called his manager. He just randomly called his manager at 2 a.m. to have him on the phone. And also his creative director was in his apartment. They were both conveniently there as witnesses. But he hadn't planned on getting the police involved. And when they did get involved, that's when it became illegal and got blown way out of proportion. But he didn't want to admit it was all a hoax, so he doubled down on the whole thing and continued to lie and push it further and further until he ended up smearing the names of his own friends who he had previously trusted enough to ask for help to stage the attack. I mean, for me, the odds of someone just showing up at 2 a.m. in the hopes that Jussie just might go out for a walk to Subway at that time, wearing masks, holding a noose and bleach, like, how long would they have had to stand there with those items in freezing temperatures waiting for him to show up? And, like, people wouldn't notice them holding these items? And how would, how would they know he'd be walking out at 2 a.m.? And then there's the check. Why would they have a check from Jesse? And there were all the signs he was lying and the inconsistencies in his statements. This is the only scenario that makes sense to me after learning all the details. So what do you think, Rosie? I think that even the best farces still stink. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I love you. A little bit shorter than yours. <laughs> um, I know this may be a controversial story, especially if you believe Jesse Smollett no matter what. And if you can relate to the prejudice and hate that the story represents, I'm so sorry. I can't even imagine the terror of living in so much fear and the frustration of living with so much hate. It's so awful that people treat other human beings that way. But I think it's extremely unfair to real victims of these hate crimes if people are lying about being attacked themselves and pretending they're a victim I mean, it's actually robbing the spotlight from the real survivors of these horrible acts and causing skeptics to belittle victims altogether. And even if this whole attack was staged, the underlying issue is still a really serious problem. Hate crimes like this really do happen, often, 
and Clay Kane, a writer for the Washington Post, wrote an article about Jesse Smollett, highlighting the real issues behind the story. He was clear that there's no justification or excuse for Jesse's actions if he was lying, but that this is a very real issue. He shared a story about his best friend, who was also black and gay. He was assaulted outside his home by two men. They punched him and kicked him and pounded his face into the pavement. And there were people walking by during the attack, and they did nothing to help him, not even calling the police. The friend decided not to call the police because he felt that no one would care that a gay black man was beat up. Yeah, so the stigma really does prevent real people who have been victimized by hate crimes from reporting it because of the fear they live with. When was that written? This year. Really? Yeah. Wow, that surprises me. I mean, this incident is from the past. Okay. Yeah, that's what I the meant. Like writer's friend, but yeah. this article is written this year because this whole attack happened January of 2019. But the fact that these people have to live in fear because some people are hateful and feel the need to shower other people in hate if they disagree with the way they're living. Like I said last week in the introduction, even if you have moral values that contradict someone else's lifestyle, there's no reason to force your beliefs on someone else. There's never a good reason to harm another human being. And even if you think you're defending morality by doing it, how is assaulting another human supposed to support your quote-unquote moral high ground? I don't get it. So now, Jesse has filed a motion against Chicago, saying he should not have to pay the $130,000 in damages, because he couldn't have known how much time and money the department would spend looking into his report. What? They maintain that he didn't stage the attack, but that the department also didn't need to spend the 1,836 hours of police overtime that they did to investigate his report. And I'm thinking... They were initially investigating this for, for you. you. They were trying to solve the crime to get you justice. It's not their fault that the evidence they found all led back to you orchestrating it. Right. They were just doing their jobs. And saying that he couldn't have known how much time and money the department would spend, that's like... It's like a serial killer saying, I couldn't have known how many family members would have been affected by losing this one person. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the same logic. Hmm. It's ridiculous. And the police department responded that it only did what was necessary to conduct a potential hate crime investigation. Smollett's attorneys argued that the former mayor of Chicago, Rahm Emanuel, disagreed with the dismissal of charges. And that's the only reason the city filed to recoup the losses. I would guess that it's because taxpayers are funding all of it, and Jussie is a lot more well-off than most of them are. He can afford it. These taxpayers, think of all the Uber drivers that work in Chicago. They're not making that much money driving for Uber, and yet they're paying taxes to support the police force, which is investigating Jussie's made-up case. Mm-hmm. The Chicago Police Department still maintains that there is overwhelming evidence that Smollett staged the attack and paid his buddies, who he later called the attackers, to carry it out. 
and we mentioned the state attorney Kim Fox brought in that third-party special prosecutor to check her work, and that actually raises the possibility of charges being refiled against Jussie Smollett. So, this case is still on the table. There's a possibility he could be charged again. But it's just so sad, because if he lied about this, he literally tried to cause a huge division between black and white people nationwide for his own personal gain. And there was actually another YouTube video I watched by JCS Criminal Psychology where he talked about the massive success Childish Gambino had with his song, This Is America. Uh, He talked about the racially motivated issues that still exist. And Jussie himself had released an album with a similar theme in 2018, but It only had success with his fan base, nothing national the way Childish Gambino accomplished. And this psychologist on YouTube theorized that he wanted to make a big splash by making himself the hero of this hate crime narrative to bolster his music career because he was trying to be this influential icon like Childish Gambino was, you know? This is just a theory, but it's another interesting facet of this case. And he tried to appeal to the struggling black population of America, but didn't realize that they couldn't really relate to someone who had been pampered and never really had to do a day of hard labor in his whole life, you know? Hmm. Crazy. There's a hearing scheduled for October 22nd to rule on Smollett's Smollett's request for the city to drop the suit against him. So in a couple weeks, there will probably be more news about him. But before we finish, we're going to play the audio from the superintendent of police in Chicago. I come to you not only as the superintendent of the Chicago Police Department, but also as a black man who spent his entire life living in the city of Chicago. I know the racial divide that exists here. I know how hard it's been for our city and our nation to come together. And I also know the disparities and I know the history. This announcement today recognizes that Empire actor Jesse Smollett took advantage of the pain and anger of racism to promote his career. I'm left hanging my head and asking why. Why would anyone, especially an African-American man, use the symbolism of a noose to make false accusations? How could someone look at the hatred and suffering associated with that symbol and see an opportunity to manipulate that symbol to further his own public profile. How can an individual who's been embraced by the city of Chicago turn around and slap everyone in this city in the face by making these false claims? Bogus police reports cause real harm. They do harm to every legitimate victim who's in need of support by police and and investigators as well as the citizens of this city. Chicago hosts one of the largest pride parades in the world, and we're proud of that as a police department and also as a city. We do not, nor will we ever tolerate hate in our city, whether that hate is based on an individual's sexual orientation, race, or anything else. So I'm offended by what's happened, and I'm also angry. I love the city of Chicago, 
and the Chicago Police Department, warts and all. But this publicity stunt was a scar that Chicago didn't earn and certainly didn't deserve. To make things worse, the accusations within this phony attack received national attention for weeks. Celebrities, news commentators, and even presidential candidates weighed in on something that was choreographed by an actor. First, Smollett attempted to gain attention by sending a false letter that relied on racial, homophobic, and political language. When that didn't work, Smollett paid $3,500 to stage this attack and drag Chicago's reputation through the mud in the process. And why? This stunt was orchestrated by Smollett because he was dissatisfied with his salary. So he concocted a story about being attacked. Now our city has problems, we know that. We have problems that have affected people from all walks of life, and we know that. But to put the national spotlight on Chicago for something that is both egregious and untrue is simply shameful. I'm also concerned about what this means moving forward for hate crimes. Now, of course, the Chicago Police Department will continue to investigate all reports of these types of incidents with the same amount of vigor that we did with this one. But my concern is that hate crimes will now publicly be met with a level of skepticism that previously didn't, didn't happen. That said, Smollett was treated as a victim throughout this investigation until we received evidence that led detectives in another direction. I couldn't be more proud of the unrelenting detective work that went into this investigation, and I couldn't be more proud of every investigator that played a part in it. The detective work that we saw in this case is indicative of the work that our detectives do every day in this city. This case in particular involved hours of video evidence, which when combined with old-fashioned police work, uncovered the truth. These detectives deserve all the credit in the world for carefully analyzing the leads and the evidence for weeks before coming to their conclusion. I'd also like to thank the FBI for their help in this investigation. The FBI's partnership with CPD has been pivotal in this particular case. I only hope that the truth about what happened receives the same amount of attention that the hoax did. I'll continue to pray for this troubled young man who resorted to both drastic and illegal tactics to gain attention. I'll also continue to pray for our city, asking that we can move forward from this and begin to heal. Which leads me to some fan mail. Just kidding, this is not fan mail. <laughs> Just some more YouTube comments. But it raised a good question, which you may have been wondering yourself last week. Mm-hmm. Why the heck would you cover an obsol- obviously fake hate crime and then they said just discovered and undiscovered a (laughs) podcast in record time good for you girl (laughs) (laughs) anyway i responded that's an excellent question if you listen to it it'll make sense this is part one next week we're going to go through the evidence to simplify it for people that don't want to read through all the documents but thank you for making sure we were aware we do our best to stand up for victims and felt the need to address this case but we're also storytellers and wanted to set the stage before we tear into it and reveal the information 
the same way it came out to the public in February. So that answers part of it. But also, after learning the full story behind the case, I was enraged and I wanted to say my feelings on it, which are that it's completely narcissistic and disrespectful to real victims. Because in the end, instead of bringing people of all kinds together in unity, it was really an attempt to cause even more division between people of different groups. And second, I thought it was a really fascinating roller coaster while I was learning about it, and I thought it would be an interesting, more lighthearted episode because no one actually got hurt directly in this case. Well, he got knuckles rubbed on his face. Oh yeah, so. that's true. But <laughs> it's nice to have a lighter topic once in a while. The things we talk about can get pretty heavy and dark and sad. And don't take that as like no one was negatively affected by this because the police you know, they were negatively affected. They wasted time investigating it. The taxpayers of Chicago who funded it were obviously hurt. And the real victims who we are who we talked about who will have doubt cast on their claims after this. So let's not forget that. But again, that reiterates why I thought it was important to talk about. So, yeah, hopefully it doesn't cause too many people to unsubscribe. I think it'll be fine. (laughs) Next week, we'll be sharing a listener story. So we're excited about that because it's been a little longer than usual. We've had a crazy summer it's thrown us off of our routines a little bit but i have a five-star review i'm gonna read quick and then i gotta go because i have a girl's night to go to (laughs) (laughs) and it's entitled the only podcast i listen to oh i love this podcast i am not one to leave a review but this is the only podcast i enjoyed listening to i am not a victim myself but i enjoy hearing other stories others stories and being able to sympathize and try to understand what is going, what one is going through. It's a constant reminder that you never know what someone is going through. Also, Rosie sharing her story was amazing, and she is. Oh, I didn't know that they <laughs> talked about me in this one. Now Uh-oh. I feel weird reading it. Uh-huh. Also, Rosie sharing her story was amazing, and she is so brave for doing that. Thank you. Oh, that's lo- so sweet. I love the duo of you two. Like one reviewer had said, "Quote: You complete complement each other." Uh-huh. <laughs> Thank you for doing an awesome podcast. I always can't wait to listen to the next one that comes on. That's so sweet. Thank you, Alexa from America. I loved what she said there. Um, what was it now? My freaking memory. <laughs> oh, about it's a constant reminder that you never know what someone else is going through. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how, what we try to take from these stories, too, is life is tough out there. Be grateful for what we have, every good thing we have, and you know, try to be kind to other people, especially if we don't know what's behind their, like if people are mean or unpleasant. There might be a lot more behind that than we realize. I'll share this one. I'm trying to catch up on the, the older ones. This one is from September 19th, so way back, almost a month. It's entitled Endearing Duo, and it's from Great Britain, from Freya Chaos. Oh, the goddess of love in Norse mythology. Cool. Oh, is that... Did I say it right? Freya, yeah. I'm teaching my kids Norse mythology right now. Oh, that's interesting. Was she related to Thor? Um, yeah, but I don't remember how. Cool. I think. Well, anyway, it's short and sweet. It says, I don't get why people criticize... Wouldn't you just turn it off if you don't like it? Such a good point. 
this is an on-demand system. You can turn it off if you don't like it without leaving a hateful review. Just throwing that out there. It, it continues. Anyway, my point is, I love this podcast. Always comforting to hear your voices, even if the content is sometimes harrowing. Well done on delivering interesting content week after week. X, Kala? Is that Kala? Or is, is that an L or an I? Yeah, Kala. I think. Kayla or Kala. Let us know if we pronounce that right. But thank you so much. Really appreciate that. Um, so yeah. That's it. We know this is a really long episode, so we'll let you go. <laughs> and thank you so much for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.